Today on the Matt Wall Show, Jesse Smollett has been found guilty of committing a hate crime hoax, but I think a hate crime hoax is a hate crime in itself and should be charged as such. We'll talk about that today. Speaking of hate crimes, my best-selling LGBT children's book, Johnny the Walrus, has been removed from Amazon's LGBT list. I'll have something to say about that today, and a fair warning, uh, I might get a little emotional about it because I'm pretty upset. Also, a male college swimmer is dominating female swimming. Outkick has an interview with one of his teammates, and she is uh, not happy. Plus, Simone Biles is named Athlete of the Year for quitting. We'll talk about that and so much more today on The Matt Wall Show. Did you know that one out of three Americans regularly suffer from nausea? I know I'm one of them, and for me, it's, you know, sitting in the backseat of a car, of an Uber, or something like that, especially if I'm looking at my phone, which even makes it worse. But um, nausea, what it could do, I know this from experience, it could ruin your day, and it can force you to change your plans. And the most severe cases, it can make us unable to function. Uh, if you can relate, then I've got good news. It's called Relief Band. you got to check out Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that's been clinically proven to, quick, to quickly relieve and effectively prevent Nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangover, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free. It's also non-drowsy, unlike uh, some of the pills that you can buy for, uh, especially if you're, you know, for, for motion sickness and that kind of thing. A lot of those will make you drowsy, and uh, that's not the case with Relief Band. It also provides an all-natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. So you've got to try Relief Band. Don't let nausea get in the way of your life anymore. As the holiday season quickly approaches, there's never been a better time to give the gift of relief and make sure your loved ones are nausea-free. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for uh, my listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code Walsh, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code Walsh for 20% off plus free shipping. It should not really be a surprise that con artist and now convicted felon Jesse Smollett was found guilty of committing a race hoax. The evidence against him was overwhelming. Uh, you know, they say that absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. But in the case of a hate crime hoax, that's often not true. If Smollett was really accosted and assaulted by a roaming gang of militant, bleach-wielding white supremacists, there would have been lots of positive evidence to support that claim. The fact that there was no such evidence was reason enough to conclude that the claim was a fabrication. That, along with the fact that the story was absurd and implausible and ludicrous on its face on every level. Except in this case, there was not only absence of evidence to support his version of events, but positive evidence disproving it. Since his co-conspirators admitted their role in the plot and produced documentation to show that there was a plot. All of this to say, there should not have been any suspense. A guilty verdict should have been a foregone conclusion. But as the jury failed to reach a verdict somehow on the first day of deliberation, and the hours ticked by during the second day, it started to seem quite possible that they would maybe come back with an acquittal. Jesse Smollett's defense team certainly didn't do anything to convince them of his innocence, but they played the victim card, constantly reminding the jury that Smollett is a gay black man. That indeed was their whole defense, that he's a gay black man. Um, the victim card shouldn't be worth anything at all, especially in court, and especially when it's played by a wealthy actor. But in our country today, it can unlock many doors and get you out of many jams. And it could well have done that here. Yet, it didn't. The justice system actually worked. And not for the first time in recent weeks. It's on a little bit of a, of a streak, I guess. And Jesse Smollett was convicted on five out of six counts yesterday. He faces up to 20 years in prison. And should serve every day of it. Although I expect he'll probably just be given a slap on the wrist, a few hours of community service. And we'll get back to this issue of the appropriate punishment for his crime in just a moment. But first, it's worth recalling 
what the left said about the Smollett case when the story was first reported by a credulous media. Now, when I say the left, I mean not just random accounts on Twitter, but the most prominent and powerful individuals in that camp. Joe Biden at the time tweeted, what happened today to Jesse Smollett must never be tolerated in this country. We must stand up and demand that we no longer give this hate safe harbor, that homophobia and racism have no place on our streets or in our hearts. We are with you, Jesse. Notice there's no alleged, no words like claim or reportedly being used. Just an outright acceptance of the story in its entirety without a hint of skepticism. Same for uh, Kamala Harris, who said at the time, Jesse Smollett is one of the kindest, most gentle human beings I know. I'm praying for his quick recovery. This was an attempted modern-day lynching. No one should have to fear for their life because of their sexuality or color of their skin. We must confront this hate. An attempted modern-day lynching. It wasn't much of an attempt, considering the assailants gently placed the rope around his neck and then ran away 30 seconds later, according to him. So that's like trying to shoot somebody by throwing the bullet at their head. But that kind of critical thinking is not allowed when a member of a protected class makes a claim of this sort. Which is why every major leftist in the country rallied around Jussie. The Daily Mail takes us farther down uh, memory lane. They report, uh, going back to 2019, other liberal stars whose pro-Jesse tweets have now aged very poorly include Democratic representatives and squad members Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as well as Rashida Tlaib. AOC at the time tweeted, there is no such thing as racially charged. This attack was not possibly homophobic. It was a racist and homophobic attack. If you don't like, what's, well, if you don't like what is happening to our country, then work to change it. It is no one's job to water down or sugarcoat the rise of hate crimes. And then Tlaib said, when one of the most famous black and gay men in America is not safe, the message is clearer than it's ever been. Uh, the dangerous lies spewing from the right wing is killing and hurting our people. Thinking of you, Jesse Smollett, and my LGBTQ neighbors. Other top Democrats who rallied against the now debunked beating include House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Vermont Senator uh, Ber Bernie Sanders. Pelosi soapboxed, the racist homophobic attack on Jesse Smollett is an affront to our humanity. No one should be attacked for who they are or whom they love. She's right, though. No one should. And thankfully, no one was. But out of all the famous leftists who used the Smollett hoax as an opportunity to prove their woke bona fides, none could top Ellen Page, who, back when she was Ellen Page, went on Stephen Colbert's late night show and tearfully blamed Mike Pence for the fact that Jussie Smollett attacked himself. Now, in retrospect, not even retrospect, but even at the time, this is maybe the funniest segment Stephen Colbert has ever aired. And it was unintentionally funny. Let's uh, let's go back and watch a little bit of this again. I'm like really fired up tonight. This but is how this is how you have to be fired. It feels up. impossible to you not feel this way right now with yeah. the president and the vice president Mike Pence, who like wishes I couldn't be married. Let's just be clear. <laughs> the vice president of America wishes I didn't have the love with my wife. He wanted to ban that in Indiana. He believes in conversion therapy. He has hurt LGBTQ people so badly as the government of Indiana, and I think the thing we need to know, and I hope my show Gaycation did this, in terms of connecting the dots, in terms of what happened the other day to Jesse, I don't know him personally, I, I sent all of my love. Connect the dots. 
This is what happens. If you are in a position of power and you hate people and you want to cause suffering to them, you go through the trouble. You spend your career trying to cause suffering. What do you think is going to happen? Kids are going to be abused and they're going to kill themselves and people are going to be beaten on the street. I have traveled the world and I have met the most marginalized people you could meet. I am lucky to have this time and the privilege to say this. This needs to stop. So powerful, so sincere. I mean, she literally sounds like she's reading a script. She's met the, the most marginalized people. Like, uh, you know, Hollywood actors. Very marginalized. Now, how does this work, by the way? Because Ellen Page is a man now, she says. So her relationship with her wife is actually a heterosexual marriage. You know, however, however that works, I don't know. We know um, that Ellen Page was a privileged white male mansplaining about the Jesse Smollett case. And of course, everything she said was wrong. What we have to understand about Ellen Page and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and all the rest of them is that they all, of course, knew that the hoax was a hoax. At least they knew that it very well may have been. But in their minds, even if it wasn't true, it was still true on some deeper, more ambiguous level. You know, if Jesse Smollett wasn't a victim of two white guys in in MAGA hats in Chicago at 2 a.m. in January, he was still a victim in general as far as they were concerned. Not only that, but, but he was, by virtue of his identity, a victim of white guys in bag of hats. None of them have to actually attack him or do anything to him or, or even say anything to him to victimize him. They victimize him by existing, and he is victimized, and he is victimized by existing. This is the tortured thought process of a leftist. And it's how they justify elevating and amplifying and demanding that we believe every race hoax that has ever been concocted. Because even if it's not true, it's still true. What was that phrase from, uh, from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? You know, something could be factually wrong, but morally correct or something like that. And that's how they look at it. They've decided ahead of time who the villains are and who the heroes are. The details of any individual case are irrelevant. And even if it ends up not being true, technically speaking... By amplifying it, they still succeed in reinforcing their victim narrative and driving a wedge between the races, which is their true intention. That's also why, going back to Jussie's punishment, um, in a truly just country, I know I said our justice system is working, but maybe we could say in these few cases, it's worked as well as we can expect. But if it really worked, Jussie Smollett ought to be charged with a hate crime himself. You know, just like we, if, you, if you falsely claim that someone raped you and it's proven that it was a false claim, then you should get the penalty that they would have gotten had they been convicted based on your false claims. And so if you, if you claim a hate crime and it didn't happen, then you should be charged with a hate crime yourself. Now, the hate crime category is intentionally vague and arbitrary and shouldn't exist. I mean, you could argue that almost all crime is motivated by hate on some level, or most of it, or worse, by indifference. I mean, who's to say that crimes driven by hate are worse than crimes driven by indifference to human life? Most school shootings fall into this latter category. Maybe not so much hate as just total indifference to human life. 
Much of the violence that we see in our cities is, is motivated by total indifference to human life. Is that, is, that, is that better than being motivated by hate? And who's to say which sort of hate is worse than other kinds of hate? The whole category, again, should not exist. But since it does, it ought to be used here against Justice Millett. Because we should be clear about what this was. It was not just a hoax or a scam. I mean, it was both of those things. But it was also an anti-white hate crime. Now, remember, hate crimes do not need to be targeted at any individual single person. So if you hang a noose on a tree as a threat to black people in general, you'll be charged with a hate crime. Of course, as it happens, every noose on a tree story ends up being a hoax or somebody misinterpreted a tire swing or something. But if ever there is a real case, if that ever actually happens, it will be a hate crime. And be charged that way, even if there is no one specific individual victim. So Jesse Smollett's hoax was an attack on white people in general, white conservatives especially. It was meant to stir up hatred and resentment towards that group. He had other motivations as well. You know, this was, this was a, also a ploy in contract negotiations. As it turns out, you know, maybe the worst contract negotiating technique ever employed by anybody on top of that, he had ideological and, and, and other kinds of motivations. And one of them was anti-white. It was meant to reinforce the worst stereotypes about white people, white men, white conservatives. And I have no doubt, you know, that if, if, if two random white saps had made the unfortunate mistake of walking somewhere nearby on that night in Chicago and the police suspected them of the crime, because they happened to be caught on security cameras walking nearby or something, Smollett would have had no problem sending them to prison for 40 years to pay for a crime that he made up. I have no doubt about that. That's the other thing about a, about a hoax hate crime. Is that you're, you're throwing this out there, this grenade, you're pulling the pin on the grenade and throwing it out there, and uh, if it explodes and takes some innocent person out, that's, that's your fault, and you apparently have no problem with that. That's why you're doing it. So if there was, if there was real justice in, the, in this country, you know, if someone had actually done that to Justice Smollett, uh, and it wasn't his Nigerian friends, but if there were two, if, if that story somehow in some bizarro world was true, what, what penalty would those attackers be facing? I'm thinking 40 to 50 years in prison probably, if not more. That's what Jesse Smollett should do. Because this was a hate crime uh, itself. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, this doesn't happen to to me very often, but the prompt I'm given here is to tell you that it's a lot of fun when you're invited to join something that, you know, when when you're you're given an invitation to join something. I don't get invited to a lot of stuff because nobody likes me. But uh, if you've experienced that, you know how fun it is. And if you're looking for a job or hoping to get a better one, that's how you could feel when you use ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter has switched up the job search game. You can actually hear from employers who want you before you even apply When you create a free profile on ZipRecruiter.com, they act like your free personal recruiter. ZipRecruiter pitches your profile to employers whose jobs match your experience. So rather than taking the passive approach of just going and Googling or whatever, 
Uh, this, is, this is something where it's active. They're going to go out. They're going to pitch you. They're going to find employers for you. If someone from that company really likes what they see, they can personally invite you to apply to their job. The best part is ZipRecruiter's invite to apply makes you feel confident about pl- applying for that job because you know that the employer is already interested in, uh, in your services potentially. So you have some idea of where you stand. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job site by G2. So today I'm inviting you, listener, to try ZipRecruiter for free. Just sign up on ZipRecruiter.com easy. Once again, go to ZipRecruiter.com easy right now to sign up absolutely free and put ZipRecruiter to work for you. Let's uh, begin with a report from OutKick about the trans swimmer at University of Pennsylvania, uh, a dude who raced against other dudes for three years and then decided in his fourth year that, uh, that he's a woman. And OutKick was able to speak anonymously because she didn't, you know, for probably obvious reasons, she didn't want to be identified. He, they were able to speak anonymously to one of, his, uh, one of this guy's now teammates, female teammates, and she is uh, not happy. And she says that nobody on the team is happy, but they can't say that out loud. So let's read now from OutKick. It says, um, first, a little bit of the context. While University of Pennsylvania transgender swimmer Leah Thomas, who spent three years at the Ivy League school swimming as a male, has been busy smashing female pool records, friction has been building within the team, according to a Penn female swimmer who said that she feared for her ability to find employment after graduating from college for sharing her honest opinion about a transgender teammate. For that reason, OutKick is granting her an anonymity to speak out. Uh, by the way, this is written by Joe Kinsey at OutKick. Thomas's latest round of a swimming record destruction came at a three-day meet in Akron, Ohio, where numerous pool meet and program records weren't just destroyed, but lowered to a point where they may never be broken. Um, and, and that means, of course, that after Leah, quote-unquote, Thomas, is long gone, these records are going to stand there and there's not going to be, now there should be an asterisk at least saying, oh, by the way, this was a dude. And so that way future uh, female swimmers, if they want to go for the record, they know which record they have to beat. But now he's setting these records that it's, this is not just victimizing the women that he's racing against in the moment, all future women, because now he's, he's taking these records and he's putting them out of reach. Because he has a whole collection of biological advantages that none of these other women have. And it's not going to be on the record book. There's not going to be anything signifying this. Um, continues here. It, in the 1650 uh, uh, freestyle final, Thomas didn't just win and set new program pool of meat records. It was total annihilation. Um, Penn's Anna Kalandazzi finished in second place, 38 seconds behind Thomas. Now, I, I don't know if I need to tell you this, but 38 seconds um, in a race of this kind is an enormous gap. Enormous. Um, during a phone interview, a female Penn swimmer, we don't know her name, says pretty much everyone individually has spoken to our coaches about not liking this. Our coach, his name is Mike Schnur, just really likes winning. He's like most coaches. I think secretly just knows it's the wrong thing to do. Now, I can't get inside of Mike Schnur's head, but uh, I'm guessing that his motivation for allowing this to happen, for going along with this farce, it might be partly that he likes winning, but I think it's even more, uh, it's even more cowardice. You know, I think, I think she does him a favor by saying that the, the coach is going along with this because of, a, because of this 
over-competitiveness or something. Because he, he wants to win too much. That would be bad enough, but that's not as bad as the reality, which is that uh, Mike Schnur is, is almost certainly humiliated and embarrassed by all of this. I mean, does he actually want to win thi- like this? With a dude racing against girls? I would say almost certainly no. But he's too afraid to say anything. She continues, when the whole team is together, we have to be like, oh my gosh, go Leah. That's great. You're amazing. It's very fake. Um, and, uh, and then she continues talking about, um, talking about how nobody likes this on the team, but no one, they, they feel like they can't say anything. And uh, they think that if they say something, they're going to be cast as transphobes and bigots. And this is going to affect them, not just in their social life, not just at school, but going forward in, um, in their professional lives as well. And they're probably right. Now, one of the ways that this is being justified is that, um, that Thomas has started taking hormone pills. You know, he's, he's, he started the, the transition. And so his testosterone levels have dropped. And so that's supposed to mean that it's perfectly, perfectly fair for him to race against the girls in that case. But Alkick does a good job of, you know, not just comparing this guy's times to the other girls. And when you do that, you see what an absolute, again, what a farce this is, that he's just destroying them. They have no chance. But also they compare his times uh, racing against the women to his times in his first three years racing against men. And if the, if the testosterone suppression and all that kind of stuff, the pills that he's taking, if it made that big of a difference, you should see it in his times. And what you find instead, like for example, the 200 freestyle, 200 meter freestyle, um, against the women, he's, he swims a, um, a 140, basically 142, just about 142. And when he was racing against the men, before he started taking the pills and when he had more testosterone coursing through him, he was, uh, he was at a 139.3. So he goes from a 139.3 to a 141.9. That's a difference. Every second counts. But that still puts him f- far above most other women. It makes a small difference. Not a very big one. And why, why does it make a very big difference? Well, because testosterone is not the only advantage that men have. This is the the total absurdity that the pro-trans people engage in, where they pretend that the only difference between men and women is testosterone. But of course, even if that was true, by admitting that, you, you are admitting there's a difference. Pretending that that's the only difference still means that there is a biological difference between the two. If trans women are women, if there's no difference between them, then why does the trans woman have to take any pills at all? If they're exactly the same, the the, the quote-unquote trans woman shouldn't have to take pills. So they're reducing all of the differences between men and women. They're reducing it down to this one thing, hormones. And by doing that, they're still admitting that their whole position is nonsensical and wrong. But as always with the left, when they're, when they're trying to justify, especially when it comes to gender ideology, uh, everything they say is so wrong, and there are so many levels of wrongness 
that you, you don't even know where to start. And sometimes it's almost, it's almost uh, overwhelming and intimidating to, and it, maybe this is one of the reasons why people stay out of the, stay away from this issue. The big reason is that they're afraid. But also it's just so incredibly wrong that again, you, you don't know where the access point is. And if you make one argument against this, then you're neglecting, there, there are 50 other really good arguments you're neglecting. That's what the left does. They, they overwhelm you with wrongness. They just drown you in it. Speaking of swimming. So, um, you know, that's why even if hormones were the only difference, that still is a difference, which proves that, the, that these are biologically distinct categories of people, right? Um, and putting all of that aside, it's still wrong to have the males race against the females because males are not females. Okay, if Leah Thomas was in the middle of the pack against the females or even losing, does that make it right? No, because he's not a female. Okay, that would just make him a really, really bad swimmer as a male. But we should also note that hormones are not the only difference between men and women. And this comes through especially in swimming. You know, the, the differences are every part of us. I mean, literally, if you are a male, every part of you is male, right down to your DNA, which is why when, when you're dead and gone and only your, a rotted corpse remains and they're not able to, you know, test testosterone levels on you, they'll still be able to tell that you are a male. If only a piece of you remains a hundred years hence and they dig you up, they'll be able to tell you're a male because you are a male down to your bones, down to your cells, down to your DNA. And many of those differences, I mean, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of biological differences that, I mean, really there are thousands of biological differences between men and women uh, because again, it goes right down to the cells, but there are at least dozens of differences that specifically give you an advantage in something like swimming. But these, uh, even the one girl who is, will speak out anonymously, anonymously, she'll only do it anonymously. And I can, I can understand that, by the way. And it, it is easy for me to say, sitting here, especially as someone who gets paid to talk about these issues and to say, quote, unquote, controversial things. Um, so I'm not in the position that these girls are in. But even so, there is, there is no hope for any of this unless we are going to be courageous and start and start speaking the truth. Emperor has no clothes. It just you, you need at least one person in the crowd to stand up and say he has no clothes. And the whole point of that parable is that it's an emperor. And this is just some random citizen pointing that out. Not in a position of power. Very much uh, susceptible and vulnerable. Could be punished in who knows, in, in, in many different ways for embarrassing the emperor. But someone's got to do it. And, and the thing is, the male intrusion into female sports, that could be stopped tomorrow. I mean, that could be stopped today. That could be stopped immediately if the girls on these teams refuse to participate and said, we're not, we're not going to any matches. 
We're not going to any meets. We're not going to any games, whatever the sport is. Uh, We're not going to participate anymore until the males are gone. If all the girls said that, or, or, or even half of them, or even a sizable minority said that, this is over. This is done. So, in fact, we do have a lot of power as the sane people in this country, but we have to, we have to use it. That's what makes it so frustrating and tragic. Is that, in fact, um, what's going on, especially with, with gender ideology? Almost everyone knows that it's wrong. Almost everyone recognizes how ridiculous it is and how harmful it is and how unfair it is. Almost everyone does. And we have the power to stop it because we have numbers, but we don't use the power that we have. All right, Fox News is getting made fun of because of their reaction to their tree being burned, uh, which happened a few days ago. Their big uh, Christmas tree outside in, uh, in, um, uh, in Times Square, burned by a homeless guy who was immediately released on no bail, by the way, despite starting a massive fire in the middle of a city. And uh, I think the tree was worth like half a million dollars. But the left is accusing Fox of kind of milking the story, I guess. Here's how Fox and Friends addressed it a couple days ago. Here's the thing. Uh, in New York, under the new liberal policies of bail reform, arson is only a felony. You can only be held if it's a felony. If the suspect tries to harm a person or commits a hate crime. And apparently lighting a Christmas tree on fire is not a hate crime. Even but though, it is. Even you though could a say, lot of people yeah. could have been injured? Yeah. Here, and, but here's the thing. Who says it's not a hate crime against us, against Fox News? Uh, here's the thing. What we do know for sure... We don't know the guy's motivation. But uh, the judge could ask and be under suspicion and keep him locked up. Well, he might have. But here's, the, here's what we do know. According to the New York Post, which is co-owned with us, that Christmas tree was half a million dollars. I know. So this guy tortures a half a million dollars worth of property, and he gets to walk? So the left is having fun with the fact that Brian Kilmeade said that it's a hate crime against Fox News. Clearly, he was half kidding about that. But but overall, Fox's reaction to this has been has been pretty reasonable, I think, because I'm just imagining, like, think about if this happened to CNN. If somebody set one of their, you know, if they had a tree or something that was set on fire, uh, they probably don't have a Christmas tree because they're heathens. But, but you know, if they had something and um, if they put out a, if, if they had a big, like, unity diversity tree or something in, the, in, in front of their studios and somebody set that on fire, can you think they would never stop. It'd be the only thing they talked about for the next uh, six years. We get all these like tearful montages of uh, CNN anchors talking about how journalism is under attack. This is why we are the, the, the firefighters for truth. Literally now, our tree is aflame. Uh, can you imagine that? The self-martyring that would happen on CNN if they were the targets of an attack like this. Speaking of CNN... In fact, we don't have to imagine how they were, are responding to the uh, to the Fox News tree being set on fire. Uh, here is here's here's how CNN has responded to it. Let's watch. Obviously, it's incredibly scary to feel that your workplace is under attack, unless. Your workplace is the Capitol. Then, according to many, many Fox hosts, it's not such a big deal. At Fox, when the target is a Christmas tree at their workplace, it is a sacrilege. But when the target is the seat of American democracy, it's not. The whole of Congress, as they certify a presidential election that was fair and secure, when the perpetrators are Trump supporters in the thousands, four of whom died that day, when the victims are police officers, 140 of whom were injured, 
and when five police officers have died in the wake of the attack, including four by suicide, when Fox's own colleagues had to take cover inside the Capitol complex on January 6th, Fox downplays the attack. Of course. Bring it, bring it back to January 6th, somehow. Somehow a homeless guy setting Fox News' tree on fire, Christmas tree on fire, is, uh, that we can relate that back to January 6th. Because everything goes back to January 6th. Um, and, and by the way, what she just said there about uh, five police officers died in the wake of the attack, including suicides. This is the, the left. They love doing this with suicides, um, using suicides as emotional blackmail and lying about them. Uh, they, they do this on, on like every issue, especially the gender issue, trans issue. And they'll straight up lie and they'll say that, uh, you know, if you if you if you dare suggest that only men have penises, you are directly causing people to kill themselves. And they have no problem doing that because they're because they're totally soulless. That's what they're doing here. I mean, yes, there, there have been Capitol Police officers who have tragically committed suicide since January 6th. But to phrase it that way, saying in the wake of the Capitol riot, uh, these officers committed suicide. She is drawing a direct connection. And, and claiming, implying, not so subtly, that they committed suicide because of the January 6th riot. Because they were, you know, traumatized by it or something. There, there is no evidence of that. There's no indication of that. Nobody has come out and said that, you know, they wrote a, a suicide note and they, they indicated that. Or, 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 or even that in, in the lead up to them committing suicide, they were, they were traumatized by the event. We haven't heard anything like that. Um. And, and it seems absence of evidence, it's seen absent of evidence, it seems very unlikely that these suicides would have anything to do with the January 6th riot because there were also riots in 2020 all, all across the country. And um, many of them went on for far longer than the January 6th riot did and were far more violent. And I imagine far scarier for the police involved. And there were no suicides in any of those cases. So, but they, she, has, she has no problem doing it. Just take a suicide, real, real human suffering, and use it, present it as a, as a, a pawn, a prop. Um, and as far as being a hate crime, I mean, going back to what we just talked about with hate crimes, wh- why not call it a hate crime? Why can't it be? A hate crime. A crime motivated by hate. Now, it seems in this case that this was probably just a crazy homeless guy who doesn't know why he did it, probably doesn't understand any of his motivations behind anything, uh, much like uh, much like the pres- current president of the United States. But if this was done by someone who hates Fox News, well, that's a crime motivated by hate. And so, but for the, for the hate crime designation, which is why the hate crime designation shouldn't exist, uh, the justice system has to say, well, yeah, I mean, they, it was, it was, it's a, it's a crime and this person was hateful, but, but it's not the kind of hate that we're worried about. It's completely absurd. And as I said, arbitrary. All right. From the Daily Wire, it says Simone Biles has been named the Times Athlete of the Year, the same year she won one individual bronze medal at the Tokyo Olympics. It's been a tumultuous year for Biles, who entered the Summer Olympics expected to compete for the gold medal in each of the five individual events she was scheduled to participate in. She managed to only successfully complete, uh, rather compete in the balance beam. Biles Biles told Time, at that point, it was no longer about meddling, but about getting back out there. 
I wanted to compete at the Olympics again and have that experience that I came for. I didn't really care about the outcome. On that beam, it was for me. It was all for me, she says. Forget about team spirit. Biles entered the games with uh, sky-high expectations after winning four gold medals in the previous Olympics. Biles was expected by many to top her Rio 2016 numbers by becoming the first American female gymnast to win five golds at a single Olympics. Uh, but then, of course, as we know, she quit on her team. And, um, and now she's been awarded the time athlete of the year for quitting. Because this is all about mental health. This is about her. She says herself. You know, the, the, the one time when she actually got up on the, the balance beam and competed, it wasn't even, she's not saying that, oh, I had to get out there for my country. It used to be what Olympians said. They were, they were competing for their country. It's not about me. It's about the country. And in sports, that's what, you're, that's what we expect and have gotten used to athletes saying. Although that's kind of changing now. But usually they talk about, oh, no, no, it's not about individual accolades for me. It's about the team. It's about what I'm representing. You know, if it's, if it's professional sports, it's about my city. And Olympics is supposed to be about your country. But that all changes now. And now we're supposed to celebrate people. It's a total, it's a total inversion now. Uh, things have been flipped on their head. I mean, it used to be, as an athlete, if you were obsessively, openly focused on yourself and your individual accolades, uh, then that was a shameful thing. Now we're supposed to admire it. Because we live in a, in a country now it's, it's, that's run by you know, leftist principles, and, and leftism is the worship of the self. And so by, by quitting for the sake of herself and her own mental health or whatever, then it becomes an act of, uh, of heroism, according to this religion. All right, next. Things have gotten so bad in D.C. that uh, these are the kinds of news reports you might hear if you live in the city, uh, where they are actually giving tips for preventing carjacking. Listen. Here in Greenbelt, we have seen a couple of violent carjackings in the past week or so. Greenbelt police responded to Breezewood Court just the other day. Three men shot and wounded, or I should say three men shot and wounded a man and carjacked another person at gunpoint in the middle of the night in order to prevent a carjacking. Well, here's what we should be doing. Police say lock the doors when driving and when pumping gas. In fact, stay in your car if you can at the gas station always look around before getting out of your vehicle and if you are the victim of a carjacking give up that car your life is just not worth it equip your vehicle with an anti-theft or gps tracking device and allow yourself room and traffic to move around other cars avoid getting boxed in if you will and keep your cell phone in your pocket rather than laying in your car for example when you go to a mall or shopping center Park in a busy area. Don't park behind a uh, large truck. Park where you can be seen. What could you possibly be getting out of a city that would make this worth it? Where you have to strategize like you're in a war zone. Uh, I can't get boxed in. got to stay in my car. What, what, could po- what about city life could make that worth it? This is a very real concern you have to have. And you have to have news reports saying, hey, if they come for it, if they come for you, just uh, give up the car. It's not worth it. Get, get out of the city. Protect yourself. That, that's the bit. You know, here's my, here's my tip for pre- preventing carjacking. Here's my carjacking prevention tip. 
uh, get out of these kinds of cities. Especially any, any city run by a Democrat, get out. And of course, almost all of them are. So get out of the city, and that's how you prevent the carjackings. Let's get now to the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law. Hey, audience members, this is Matt Walsh with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Walsh and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as $300 a month in cash back. And uh, guess what? There's no catch. It's very easy. You might be looking for, you might be thinking, oh, there's got to be a catch to something like this. They're not just going to give you free money. Yes, they will. The cash back uh, is added to your account. And it's really as simple as that. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, to PayPal. Uh, you can even uh, cash in for an e-gift card to Amazon or other brands. Uh, why pay all that money at, at the pump? And uh, when you could be getting some money every time you, you, uh, you go to the pump, just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh. George says, Matt is a Monday day coach about effects of COVID policies. Authorities make mistakes and it's easy to condemn them after the fact. Monday coach. You mean Monday morning quarterback is what you're going for? Um, about the effects of COVID policies? Yeah, one of the effects, like we talked about yesterday, a 51% increase in adolescent girls going to emergency rooms after suicide attempts uh, in 2020. That was one of the effects. Am I just Monday morning quarterbacking it? You know, in retrospect, after the fact, hindsight is 2020, that kind of thing. Uh, no, no, this is not a Monday morning quarterback situation, George, because I had been, I've been saying this from the very beginning. From the very beginning, I've been saying. You lock people in their homes. You take away their social life. You take away all of that, especially kids. And you tell them, oh, we're going to migrate all of that to the internet. And that will be your entire life now. I've been saying from the very beginning, and not just me, lots of us have been saying that you are going to see exactly these effects. So no, this is not after the fact. This is not hindsight. It's 2020. Anyone with a brain had 2020 vision on this from the beginning, because seen where it was going. And our leaders who put these policies in place, they knew also, it's just they didn't care, is the point. It was a trade-off. It was always going to be a trade-off. That's not how they sold it. They sold it as sort of a better safe than sorry situation. And, um, and how, you know, it, staying home, locking down, shutting everything down, it, it, at most it's just an inconvenience. Wearing masks at most is just an inconvenience. That's all it is. A little bit of effort. But that was always clearly bogus. There's a, there's a, a very real trade-off happening here. Many trade-offs. And one of them is we are going to, for the sake of the physical safety that these measures supposedly afforded us, supposedly, um, we are going to sacrifice the psychological and emotional well-being of our kids. That was the trade that they intentionally made. And this is the result. Um, Guy Greens says, sorry, Matt, but I like the Hodge Twins children's book better. Walruses creep me out with their weird eyes. Well, what do you think is going to happen when you come into my comments with this kind of anti-walrusism? 
weird eyes. They have beautiful and, and innocent eyes. And now I'm the bad guy because I have to ban you. Don't put me in that position, but you are banned. Um, bad mother says Matt Walsh making small talk with people in a Jiffy Lube seems unlikely. Well, that, that is true. I mean, you know, w- without, without phones, if I'm sitting in a, in a, in a waiting room or something, if we didn't have phones, yeah, I, I wouldn't be making small talk with people. But even so, and if I'm saying this, then you know it's gotten really bad. But even if I wouldn't make small talk with people, I think it's still best to just be present sometimes in the room where you're sitting. Even if you're not saying anything to anybody. To be, to be present in the room and not on your phone. And aware that you, I, I am physically in this room with these people. And we are having a shared experience. Might not be a very profound experience, but it, that's, that's what it is. Um, we don't have those kinds of, uh, there's, there's no presence any, any, anymore, anywhere, because everybody's on their phone. And there are really no shared experiences anymore. Matthew Kelly says, after watching your last episode, particularly the cancellation of uh, those involved in civil asset forfeiture, I must say that I feel personally attacked. I am actually a prosecutor that handles all of the civil asset forfeiture cases for my office. When I determine whether we'll be moving to take in a vehicle, money, or even a house, I carefully review the initial reports to see whether the seized property was either used in furtherance of criminal activity or or were proceeds from criminal activity. The main goal is not to enrich the state, but rather take money slash property gained through illicit means so that it does not return to the defendant, permitting them a profit from their criminal activity. If it later turns out that the criminal portion of the case falls apart and thus a civil forfeiture action cannot survive, I make arrangements to have the money property slash property returned to the claimant slash defendant. All property must be substantiated. I understand a layman's gripe about the concept of civil asset forfeiture, but please understand that there are legitimate and good reasons for the process. Yeah, um, so what I'm taking from this, Matthew, is that uh, what I take from this is that you are a responsible and honest person. And as a responsible and honest person, you handle this power that you've been given, civil asset forfeiture, responsibly and honestly, which is nice. And that's a, that's a credit to you. But it's still a power you shouldn't have because many prosecutors are not responsible and honest. And our system cannot assume that they will be. And that's what all of the protections in the Constitution for uh, defendants or those accused, all of those, all, all those protections, that's why they're there. Because we can't simply assume that law enforcement and, and DAs and prosecutors and everything, they're all going to be like Matthew Kelly. They're all going to be honest. I mean, if, if we could assume that, then we wouldn't need due process. We wouldn't need any of this stuff. The fact remains with civil asset forfeiture, you know, I don't know how you, you might do it in your office differently, but the laws as they're written, and we talked about one real life case that just happened down in Dallas. The laws as they're written mean that this property can be confiscated without, without, even, without, without a crime being charged or without the person who is the victim here even being accused of a crime. So this is not the way you're putting it forward here. It sounds like, well, there's, a, there's an evidentiary process. You have to be charged with a crime. There's this whole thing. That's not what happened in the, in the uh, Dallas, there was a Love Field airport. Somebody tried to, to go through the airport flying domestically, okay, so they weren't coming across the border or anything like that, 
tried to uh, tried to they they just flew from I think it was Chicago to Dallas, and they had a bunch of cash in their luggage, which is not a crime. And the police took it right there on the spot. Didn't charge the other the, the person with a crime. Not formally accusing them of doing anything, but they take the property anyway, which I think is clearly um, not acceptable, and it is by definition a a violation of the due process clause of the Constitution. We know that the, Biden's administ- uh, the Biden administration's unconstitutional vaccine mandate is not doing well in court so far. Not only has the OSHA mandate received a nationwide stay, the U.S. Senate has just voted 48 to 52 against Biden's federal mandate. However, the, uh, the issue now goes to the Democrat-led House, who will likely push it through. This is why we can't leave such a contentious issue up to those in the highest echelons of the government and have taken matters uh, into our own hands. The Daily Wire was the first in the nation to file suit against Biden's authoritarian mandate, and there will be many more to come. The onus is on us, the people, to continue to fight back when they try to force our compliance, because what we put in our bodies is not up to the government, and neither is how we spend our holidays, which uh, Biden's winter COVID plan hinted at doing. The plan includes the extension of the federal mask mandate for public transportation, as well as a consideration anyway that they might require uh, vaccines to fly even domestically. So that's what's at stake here. Our collective voices have never been more important in the fight for our freedom. And now's your chance to add your voice to the fight. If you haven't signed our petition against Biden's vaccine mandate, I need you to head on over to dailywire.com slash do not comply to add your name. Uh, we need to send an overwhelming message to this administration that the American people will not comply. We have a goal of reaching 1 million signatures, which would uh, provide a major boost to our legal challenge. We have nearly 800,000 signatures so far. We want to get to a million. So to add your voice to this and get us to a million signatures, and that's when they really have to take note, note of it, go to dailywire.com slash do not comply. And this is my opportunity to tell you about, uh, I'll have more to say about this in just a second as we get into daily cancellation, but uh, Johnny the Walrus, my uh, best-selling LGBT children's book, is currently still on sale. And um, you can go to johnnythewalrus.com to buy it. This is, uh, if you want to know the sensation that everyone's been talking about, what all the controversy is about, well, you could buy it for yourself. Uh, we are, we sold out of our first, we sold out in a day, as you've heard, but we are taking pre-orders for the next batch when they come. So go to johnnythewalrus.com. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Now, you all know that normally I like to have fun on this show, as much fun as I am constitutionally capable of having anyway, which isn't much, so never mind. The point is that today I have to get very serious and um, even a little emotional, perhaps. You probably remember that I began this week in a state of elation, deeply proud of the fact that my children's book, Johnny the Walrus, about a boy who identifies as a walrus, had not only become one of the top five best-selling books on Amazon, but it also made it onto Amazon's LGBT book list, where it was number one. My walrus novel had, had only been on sale for a few days, but already it was the most popular piece of LGBT literature in the world, topping the list and beating out such LGBT titles as Filthy Bromance and um, Holiday and Daddy's Little Christmas. These are all real titles, by the way. Even, even, it even bested the classic Sexted by Santa, Thrust into Love, Book 4. They probably should have stuck with Sexted by Santa trilogy. You know, the, the narrative really lost its momentum in the fourth installment, some critics are reporting anyway. Um, kind of, a, kind of a, a naked cash grab in more ways than one, you might say. But in any case, I had suddenly become the most prominent, influential, celebrated, and revered LGBT voice in the world, and possibly in all of history. I didn't expect to be put in that position, but I was ready to fulfill the responsibilities of that office faithfully. 
I had big plans for the LGBT movement, of which I was now the sole and unquestioned leader. Yes, it's true that I am heterosexual, but there's no reason why that should, should exclude me from holding this title. I am a straight LGBT author and leader and walrus awareness advocate. These are all parts of my complex and intersectional identity. I am an enigma, even to myself. My identity is a vast mosaic of different elements and pieces, all adding up to one beautiful yet complicated whole. And from these mysterious depths sprang forth the work of tortured genius known as Johnny the Walrus. Does all this sound extremely narcissistic and nonsensical? Perhaps. But that only again proves why I deserve to be the voice of the LGBT movement, which is what I am. Yet in an act of mutiny and treason, my fellow LGBT activists turned on me. They complained bitterly about the fact that my book was on the LGBT charts. They were envious. Indeed, they didn't want it on any charts at all. I reported yesterday that Media Matters had published a hit piece accusing me of transphobia and other assorted thought crimes. Glad the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation aligned itself with my defamers, calling on Amazon to remove the book from the LGBT category. Other activists chimed in, some of them tagging Jeff Bezos, calling on Amazon's founder to address the matter personally. In the greatest act of betrayal, my favorite website, the gay news site Pink News, published an article with this title. Right-wing pundit gloats as Amazon lists hateful transphobic book as LGBT plus bestseller. And the article explains, Amazon has listed a hateful transphobic children's book by The Daily Wire's Matt Walsh as its number one best-selling LGBT book. Walsh, a right-wing writer who has compared gender-affirming healthcare to experimentation, molestation, abuse, and rape, recently announced that he has written a horrific, horrific anti-trans children's book, Johnny the Walrus, set to be published in March. The book began taking pre-orders this month on Amazon, which is inexplicably classed it as an LGBT book. In a review, the right-wing publication The Blaze said, Matt Walsh's work is an effort to push back against radical gender ideology, which defies biological reality. But if anything says ideology, surely it's a book that tells children that expressing their gender means being forced to eat worms and having their feet cut off. Johnny the Walrus, supposedly aimed at three to five-year-olds, tells the story of a little boy who pretends to be a walrus. Johnny's mother is pressured by the internet to tell her child that he is a walrus, and protesters are shown with signs claiming human walruses are real walruses. The most twisted attack on trans kids is when Johnny's mom takes him to the doctor, who tells him he must only eat worms, constantly wear itchy gray makeup, and have his feet cut into fins. Now, for the record, if that part of the story is an attack on anyone, it would be an attack on people who mutilate kids, not on the kids themselves, obviously. This is like if you're punching somebody in the face and I tell you to stop and you accuse me of attacking the person that you were punching. So you're the attacker in that situation. I am the intervener in the attack. That's how that relationship works. But anyway, the greater point here is that the very people who ought to have been coming to my aid and defending me as a straight gay icon were instead focused on marginalizing me. And their campaign of hate and bigotry, I am sad to report, has worked. This morning, I awoke to discover that Johnny the Walrus, the most courageous piece of LGBT literature ever written, has been removed from Amazon's LGBT bestseller list. They took it off. No explanation. They didn't ask me. I didn't consent. And it's not just that there, that there had been a surge in Sexted by Santa sales supplanting my book as number one. If that were the case, I would tip my cap to the sexting Santa and accept defeat. But that's not what happened. I was removed from the category entirely. I have been literally erased 
I've been targeted for violence, not literal violence, but literary violence. Jussie Smollett was not the victim of an anti-gay hate crime, but I am. I'm also a better fiction writer, incidentally. This is an attack not just on, on, on me, but on the whole LGBT community and on the walrus community. I feel, I have to say, deeply afraid now, unsafe. I mean, if I cannot be safe and secure on the Amazon LGBT list, then where can I turn? Where am I safe? I have represented and defended the LGBT community faithfully for these many hours. Who will defend me now? No one. I feel alone and cold and and abandoned. But I have cried all the tears uh, I can cry over this. I'm sure there'll be many tears in the future. I have been dehumanized, delegitimized, decertified, vaporized, but I'm not going to back down. I'm still going to stand up and be loud and proud and speak my truth, a truth which is grounded in my lived experience as an LGBT author and walrus advocate. Amazon can't stop me. Nobody can. I'm not going to be canceled. Instead, to Glad and Pink News and Amazon and Media Matters, with all the strength I can muster as a best-selling LGBT author, a title I will retain forever, by the way, I say that you all are canceled. Shame on you. Shame on you. I told you we'd get a little bit emotional to close out a Friday. But I had to, I had to be vulnerable with you, and I, and I, and I hope that's, that's okay. We'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Make sure to buy my book, johnnythewalrus.com. Talk to you on Monday. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs>